0: Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com slash SME today. Again, agorapulse.com slash SME.
1: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'm gonna be joined by Susan Wenograd and we're going to explore Facebook ad funnels. And trust me, this is an amazing way for you to reduce your costs and increase the likelihood that people become what you ultimately want them to become customers. By the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for today's brand new discovery
1: helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
2: I found an awesome tool that helps you do more with your single link
0: in your Instagram bio. When you say your single link, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, in your Instagram bio, you only get one place to have a URL in like all of Instagram. the, The links aren't clickable, but there's one place your link is clickable and it's in your bio. So why not optimize
0: it? Cool. What's this tool called?
2: So the cool, so the tool is called Linktree, and what it does is it allows you to set up a bunch of different links to be clickable from that one place. So it's almost like a mini quick pop-up landing page that then you can have four, five, or more other links to direct people to.
0: Got it. So it's kind of a middle way in between uh, your Instagram profile link and. A bunch of other options. Is that what I hear you're saying? So, what is it? What's special about it?
2: Well, what's special about it is the fact that, like, you can optimize where you're sending people out of your Instagram profile. You don't have to say, you know, see link in bio every single time and swap that link out for your new article or, you know, whatever deal it is you're running. If you've got a great, like, for example, if we had the, the social media marketing, the, the industry report that we annually put out, that could always be one of the options there, as well as social media marketing world, as well as the podcast, as well as – so you see your, your four or five or six standard things you want people to check out can all be available there quick and easy.
0: How easy is it to update, change, and manage all the links that are in there? Oh, it's
2: incredibly easy. I mean, you just literally log into your account and just swap it out.
0: So can you put as many things in there as you want?
2: Well, I wouldn't put in more than say four to five because that's where you can see them and without scrolling. So <laughs> but yeah, you can put as many as you really
0: need to, I would say. And um, this is a web-based service, or what is this exactly?
2: Yeah, it, it's you do it through the web. And you modify it, and then they give you uh, almost like it, it's a link tree link. So it's like link tree slash, and then whatever the addendum is, your your username basically, and put it there. So it'd be like link tree slash sm examiner for us.
0: Cool. And um, hot. What is it free?
2: It's free. There are some upgrade things you can pay for if you want to, which gives you like advanced analytics of. The clicks on all the different links that are in there, uh, different times of day, things like that. But again, the free is going to get you pretty much as much as you want. The, the pro is one where, you know, if you're managing teams or want a ton more customization, you can do that.
0: And where do we find this? You can find it
2: at their link, which is linktr.ee. So the URL spells Linktree, but it's L-I-N-K-T-R
0: dot e Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. And now for today's interview with Susan Wenograd,
1: helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Susan Wenograd. If you don't know who she is, she is a Facebook ads expert who specializes in Facebook ad funnels. She's also a consultant and regular speaker on Facebook ads. Susan, welcome
3: to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm totally excited to be here.
0: So today we're going to explore how you can reduce your Facebook ad costs and who doesn't want to do that, right?
3: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) By
0: increasing your Um, conversions using funnels and all that fun stuff, which is something I've never talked about on this show before. So uh, before I get into all that, I'd love to back up a little bit and ask you, how'd you get into Facebook ads? What's your story?
3: Absolutely. So um, I started in e-commerce back in the mid 2000s, working for Circuit City, you know, rest in peace. (laughs) They're no longer around, although they just got revived. But um, I worked for them for a while, um, did um, email marketing and things like that. And that's where I got my start in digital. Um, So after that, I got into paid search. I had some freelance clients that asked if I knew anything about those text ads that showed up on Google. And I did not, but I figured it out quickly. Um, And then a few years ago, I was working in-house somewhere, and they asked if I knew anything about Facebook advertising. And at the time, it was a lot more simplistic than it is now. So it was a little bit easier to learn. It wasn't quite so intimidating. They didn't have half the features they do. So we started running uh, Facebook advertising there. And it gave me you know, a nice runway to really experiment and get to know the platform. And I really, really loved it. It, it kind of took me back to more of that marketing 101 stuff that I enjoyed. Um, you know, just the branding, the content, the language you use. It had a little more creativity to it than the paid search side did. So I really enjoyed it. I kept doing it um, for different agencies and recently went out on my own and it's one of my specialties now.
0: Awesome. You worked at Circuit City back in the day and mm-hmm. uh, I used to go there all the time and then you, you had some <laughs> agency experience and you've recently gone out on your own. And um, what I want to transition now into is is a pretty detailed conversation about the concept of a Facebook ad funnel. But before I do that, I would love to ask... Um, You know, one of the things that we talked about is that a lot of mistakes people make, in particular with uh, conversion types, or using certain kinds of, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but, you know, when you set up a Facebook ad, you say what your objective is, and a lot of people choose the wrong one. Um, Yes. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that?
3: Yeah. A lot of times when I look at conversion-focused campaigns, you can set up, you know, a multitude of different conversions that you want to track or optimize to. But a lot of times I see people pick it for an action that doesn't get a lot of conversions. So maybe it's, you know, fill out a contact form on our site or something that just happens a handful of times a week. So it's not something that has a really big data sample for Facebook. So that's usually the first piece that I see go astray is, um, you know, Facebook recommends that whatever you pick for your conversion type, that it happens about 50 times a week per ad set. And that's actually a a formidable amount when you think about it. It's not a small number of conversions for something to happen on. So a lot of people don't know that though. So they pick something that doesn't happen very often and then they try and run a conversion campaign against it. And Facebook isn't exactly sure how to optimize for it.
0: Yeah. That's a a worthy conversation because if you're, for example, selling something, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And you're trying to have your conversion. I don't even know what the options are, but one of them must be, I don't know, what are the options, just out of curiosity? The,
3: you can set it up to be anything you want. Um, you can set up custom conversions based on um, you know, things that people did on your site, pages they visited. You can also set them up as events that fire. Got it. So things like the standard ones are view content, lead, um, add to cart, purchase. There's a couple standard ones that Facebook offers with the Pixel. Um, so it's usually something like that.
0: So if you're optimiz- optimizing your campaign for for a purchase mm-hmm. and you're running a different ad experiment every single week and you're not getting those 50 purchases, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, which is a pretty high number, then you might not have enough data for Facebook to really optimize is what I hear you saying and, and match the audience to the, the ad. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. Yeah. And there are times where it can work with less than that. I see it work sometimes if it's a super niche audience where there really is just one kind of person that's buying one single type of product. Sometimes you can get around that, but um, by and large, I find that that number is pretty accurate. It used to be that they required, the, the number was 30, Got it. and they updated it to 50, I think it was in September of last year. So, um, But it, it's basically saying, hey, we need this much to look at these users and see who they are and what they do to even be able to draw correlations about what they do and how to find other users that are like them. So without that data, it, it just struggles. It doesn't really know who it's looking for.
0: So. What are the less expensive um, conversion types? If I'm using even the right language, can you tell I don't manage ads for our company? Which ones are the <laughs> okay. which ones are the more economical ones that we should consider using?
3: So typically, what I tell people is it's not so much necessarily the conversion type. Um, it's it's two pieces. It's one: how do you think about conversions? So while your ultimate conversion that you want might be you know, someone signs up for your piece of software, or they purchase one of your products, there are steps they take before that, that are also worth noting. So while it might not be the end result that you're trying to track there are little cues along the way that can help you get to those people better so a lot of times what I'll tell people to do is you may want to um you know track people that for example you know let's say that you're not doing a product but let's say you sell you know informational product you're a coach of some kind in those instances obviously yes you want them to sign up for your $10,000 mastermind or whatever it is you're offering but people aren't going to do that right away so even though that's your your final goal there are incremental goals that you use to get there. So it might be that they you know, downloaded a free guide that you had. It could be that they signed up for a webinar that you had. It's thinking backwards into those smaller steps where maybe you do get 50 of those a week. So starting there can help you find those audiences when they're in their infancy rather than trying to go for, in the example, that $10,000 mastermind every time. So that's half of it. The other half of it is the type of campaign that you choose to run. Um, and most people by default. And it makes sense. I mean, when you go to set up a campaign in Facebook, it says, what do you want to accomplish? Well, pretty much everybody wants to accomplish a conversion. They're trying to sell stuff. So people will automatically choose that. And then they're locked into, you know, that campaign type and what it has to offer. Whereas there are some other campaign types that are cheaper that can achieve conversions for you as well if you experiment enough. So it's kind of those two pieces. It's one thinking backwards, as far as what are the, the smaller micro conversions that happen along the way, and then testing some of the other campaign types that might not cost you so much money.
0: So let's talk about some examples of these, what you're referring, well, first of all, just to paraphrase to make sure I understand what you're saying, is that n- not everyone goes from Facebook to becoming a customer, right? So it's not, Correct. it's not that simple. So there are steps that they take along the way, concept of nurturing, Thus, the Mm -hmm. concept of these micro conversions. And I'm beginning to now wrap my brain around the idea of a funnel here. (laughs) Yes, that's
3: exactly what a funnel is. So
0: talk a little bit about like what are some of these micro conversions that we should be considering when we're running our ads and how should we be rethinking maybe how we put our ads together?
3: Sure. So I think one of the big ones that I've seen, um, and this this has really been something that Facebook has pushed, but I've also seen advertisers really start to embrace are the ideas of video-based funnels. So especially for products that require explanation, video can do a much better job of introducing someone to your product. Um, And so one of the things that Facebook has rolled out in the past year is the ability to create custom audiences and retarget people based on what they did on Facebook. So they don't even necessarily have to go to your website. So before, you know, a lot of the advertising was focused on, I need to get this person to my site so I can retarget. Now it's making those micro conversions even easier because Facebook is saying, hey, they don't even necessarily have to go to your site. So one of those ways is based on how much of a video they have watched. So one of the ways that I've had some really good success in reducing cost per acquisition for clients is when they were totally focused on conversions, but they had really good video, is taking a step back and saying, okay, we know that people are not likely to buy this product, to your point, you know, right when they see it on Facebook. So let's leverage our videos as almost like a commercial. Difference being, with a television commercial, you can't really retarget people that watched it, but you can on Facebook. So one of the things I've started doing for clients um, that I test for almost every single one that has a good video, is to just run a video views campaign. And what that does is it looks at your target that you're going after and it picks the subset that are most likely to watch videos on Facebook. The key to it is that it is much, much cheaper media. So Facebook charges you on a CPM basis, which is cost per thousand, and it's a fraction of what it costs to run a conversion campaign as it is to run a video views campaign. So you're kind of aligning that micro conversion. It's not a very high dollar value conversion to you yet, but it's still useful. So it's kind of realigning the action that you're looking the user to take with what the cost should really be. So I love this.
0: And I I would love to just like pause for a second. Um, sure. On January the 11th, when the whole Facebook, you know, zero apocalyptic thing happened. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I went live on Facebook for about 12 minutes and the, the video ended up going viral and it's been seen almost 600,000 times. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it got shared and a lot of people watched it. And then what, what we ended up doing was a couple of days later, we realized using this very same concept you're talking about, if we could remarket, mm-hmm. um, that we we weren't, we we didn't put any money behind that video. We tried to, but we were not able to because there was too much text in the video, but, Ah. but we were going to try to put money behind the video to get more people to watch it. We could not, but, but the thing went viral on its own. So what we ended up doing is we ended up remarketing to the people that watched 25% of the video.
3: Yep, exactly.
0: So what I hear you saying is if you create a good video, you can put a little fuel behind it with a video view ads Mm -hmm. objective. Is that what I hear you saying?
3: Absolutely. And then
0: later on, you can remarket to those who have watched it with some sort of an offer, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah. And I found most times um, when I do that, I, for example, I have a very large e-commerce client right now um, and we run conversion focused campaigns for them and they do well, but I launched the video view funnel for them. And the return on spend is basically two to three times what we're getting on the conversion campaigns. Um, and, and all it is, is, is those, it's the video view. If they watch um, at least 10 seconds, they get a carousel ad that kind of gives the selling points of the product and it's doing fantastic. And it's using two cheaper types of campaigns to do it. So it's basically combining the video views campaign. And then the, you know, retargeting follow-up campaign is focused on website traffic. Um, so it's still accomplishing those conversions, but it's doing it for a fraction of the cost. And it's just the way you laid out.
0: It, and 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 i know for a lot of people this is counterintuitive right because some yes. people are listening right now and saying well, why don't you just remarket to why don't you just remarket i mean why don't you just advertise to the people in the first place but why don't you explain why they they need to kind of go through this process to be kind of if you will brought down the funnel for people who sure. may not understand that
3: yeah so and and I, i'll stick with this client because it's a good example so you know, like like I said, they do have conversion campaigns that go directly to trying to buy and to or users that are likely to buy, and it works. The thing is, when you create your audiences, you know how when you you set them up, um, as you pick things, it shows you on the right hand side what the size of that potential audience is, and it'll get bigger and smaller depending on what you add to it or take away from it. The thing is, when you run your ads, you don't actually show to all of those people. So let's say your potential audience is 1.5 million, but you chose a conversion campaign. It's only going to show it to a fraction of those people because it's going to show it to the ones most likely to convert. I see. Those people might not be the same people that are likely to watch a video. So it's not that the people that are likely to watch the video aren't going to buy. It's just that based on the data Facebook has, they don't seem like the ones that are necessarily going to buy faster. So using different campaign types actually helps you reach different parts of your audience. um, And it engages them in a way that they seem more likely to respond to. So when you have that 1.5 million person audience, when you just run conversion focused, it's people that are really trying to capture that bottom of the funnel. And they're not really thinking any further out than people that could be close to buying, but they just might, you know, prefer to buy differently. You know, they might prefer a different video or they just interact with Facebook differently. Mm -hmm. So using those different campaign types, you can reach those other types of people who might not necessarily fall into that group of people for the conversion focused campaign, but they are still part of your target. They're just more likely to watch a video first.
0: So we've been talking about, um, video ads and, um, what about messenger? Just out of curiosity, is there anything that about that, that, is that considered yeah. a micro conversion? Talk to me a little bit about
3: that. Yeah. So um, I've had really good luck with the messenger ads. So for people that don't know what they are, because they're not, I don't think they're not really heavily talked about. I think it's, they're pretty specialized use cases, but you can set up ads that don't go to the website. They start a conversation in Facebook messenger and I've had really good luck with it. Um, in two instances, really um, two use cases, but it's been repeated over several clients one is it works really well for abandoned cart. So if you have a product that tends to have a lot of questions, um, or you know people tend to either call in or they email a bunch of questions before they purchase, it's a really good way to set up a retargeting ad and offer up your customer service as a way of you know hey we saw that you added to cart and didn't finish. Is there anything we can help you with? Um, and. I've seen really good response with that. As long as the client has, you know, a strong social person in place that can handle any of those incoming messages. I've seen that work really well to save some of those sales. So um, wait, wait, hold on
0: a second. Just so I'm clear. Sure. So is, are you telling me that if um, like, I, I think of social media marketing world as an example and people ask all sorts of questions about what's the weather, like all this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, sure. are there hotels available? So if they get to the cart and they abandon, Mm -hmm. Am I sending them an ad that shows up in Messenger or am I sending them an ad that says, do you have questions about our conference? Click to message us.
3: Good question. It's it's the latter, although you can pick Messenger as a placement. Um, It will show up in their news feed and the call to action looks different. So, you know how normally when you see an ad and the, the button will say shop now. Right it'll say messenger and it has the messenger icon on it. So when they click it, it will take them into messenger and then they can start the conversation with you.
0: Got it. And then, um, okay, cool. So anything else we need to know about micro conversions before we get into the steps of a good funnel, because I would love to like kind of lay that all out.
3: Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think I, what I would encourage people to do is to look at the, the engagement options that Facebook has, um, just because there are a lot of different things. If they've interacted with your posts, if they've sent you a message on messenger, they can be put into a retargeting group. There's a lot of different actions they can take on Facebook. So I always encourage people to look at what those are. I think they're going to continue adding to those as well. So there's, I think there's 50 some total or wow. something. i John Lumer recently done an entry on it and it was like 55 ways to target. Um, there's a lot, so it's, it's always worth going in there and getting ideas.
0: Okay. So, um, for people that are kind of convinced that, okay, yes, you, you, you've sold me on the idea that I've tapped out, you know, the, the ability to turn someone into a customer on Facebook. And now I want to like kind of nurture them through a funnel. Like Mm -hmm. what do we, where do we start? What are the steps? Feel free to go for it.
3: Yeah. So I think a lot of people get really excited about targeting. (laughs) I've noticed they really want to dig into the interests and dig into custom audiences and they get super stoked about doing all that. And then They come up with this great idea for a funnel and then they realize they don't actually have any creative to show Mm -hmm. (laughs) that will work for it. So I actually do things in the reverse. Um, Normally what I do when I start out with a client is I will do a content audit. So I look to see what pieces of content they already have and where we might be missing something Um, because that actually helps level set what's feasible to launch now versus what are some things we have to create before we can launch some of the other funnel ideas that we have. So I will usually start with, you know, do they have PDFs already? Do they have a webinar already? Do they have eBooks? You know, what just what kind of things do they have that might be useful? And even things like blog posts, you know, it's like, do you have a blog post that's super helpful, that's gotten great feedback? It helps give us an idea of what we even have to offer users in the first place, rather than getting totally excited about targeting and then realizing we have absolutely nothing to offer those people, which right. has happened several times. Right. So I tend to do it backwards and then I start with content. Um, and I look at that first and that helps us know, okay, this is what we have to work with and, or here are the things that we don't have now, but we're going to need to create so that the wheels can get in motion on that. Typically after that, um, it also becomes, you know, the next question really is what kind of audiences do you already have? So things like how large is your email list if you even have one, or do they not have any asset like that? Um, how much traffic does their website get? It helps you understand what sort of data samples they have because when you get to the step of targeting, you need to know if you have anything that you can start with, you know, as far as creating a look alike off their email list or creating a lookalike off of people that have submitted a lead form on their site. Just understanding is there enough data there to create any of that, or are you truly starting from scratch where you're just gonna have to go after interests first and try and build from there? It gives you an idea of what the inventory looks like from a data perspective.
0: I wanna dig in here a little bit. Um, Sure. Obviously, when we think of email, we've got newsletter subscribers. We might have paying customers of various products, right? And I would imagine Mm -hmm. we could just upload all those lists and create all those different audiences. But where it gets really fascinating is if you have a site that's got all sorts of content on it, you could create all sorts of little remarketing audiences for certain kinds of pages, couldn't you? Like, especially if you have blog posts, right, that are on certain topics, couldn't you just create a special audience just for one post, for example? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. And I have a client that I do that with. Um, They offer kind of a suite of services for people that are estate executors. And so that's kind of a long process. And some of the needs are very different. Um, And sometimes there's probate involved, sometimes there's not. So there's, there's all kinds of content they have. And They've done a really good, dro- good job of, you know, creating it and getting um, users to it, and it's become very helpful in creating those lookalike audiences because the people looking for probate help are not necessarily the same people that are trying to get, you know, a house that they inherited cleaned out. So it, we've done a lot of that based on um, blog posts, based on. Um, some Facebook lives that they've done as well, you can create audiences off of people that attended or responded that they were interested, huh. so any type of content like that you can really get pretty deep as long as the data is you know is there to back it to create a, a decent audience
0: uh, on the lookalike audience thing, mm-hmm. do you find that Facebook generally gets it right?
3: Yeah, when they started lookalikes they really stunk <laughs> I, I had tried them early on and they just they really didn't do a whole lot it's pretty amazing how good they've gotten. Um, I'm at the point where pretty much any ad set I run is going to have a lookalike involved in it. It's not usually the only thing I do, especially because the lookalikes can still be really, really large. So a lot of times I'll have a lookalike with an interest layer or some other layer on it just to bring it down a little bit. So I know who I'm dealing with a little bit better.
0: Explain but, what that means for people that might not understand that.
3: Yeah. So when you set up an audience target, you can choose, let's say, for example, you chose to create you know a 1% lookalike of your web traffic. We'll just use that as an example. When you create your audience targeting, you can choose that, and then you can also create another condition that the audience has to meet. So you can say, hey, they, I want them to be part of this 1% lookalike, but they also have to be interested in you know, classic cars or whatever it might be. Ah, and I see. you'll see the audience size get smaller, but it helps you know who you're talking to so that you can tailor your creative a little bit better as well.
0: Got it. Interesting. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't hear you say anything about fans yet, so I'm shocked a little bit. <laughs> What's your thoughts on targeting your fans?
3: I have never had targeting fans work particularly well. Huh. I think I think part of the problem is that um, there's just so much bot and spam stuff that winds up on pages, especially for pages that have run ads in the past to get likes. It really doesn't take any quality into account. So a lot of times when I run anything, I've tried lookalikes off fans. Um, I've done stuff where, you know, if there's offers or very specific things that fans might be interested in, that does fine. I do not find that lookalikes based on them work well, though.
0: Interesting. I, okay, mm-hmm. now I have an interesting question. We do this show called The Journey, which is a weekly like TV show that we do on Facebook, which is about eight minutes long.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And we post it, we let it go organic on Thursday and Friday, and then we put money behind it on like the weekend for about four days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're just boosting it to our fans, but should we be boosting it to, to to someone else, like to people that look like those who've already watched the video? I mean, I don't do it, so I don't exactly know what I'm asking here, but hopefully this makes sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah. What I would do is I would take, I'd create custom audiences of people that have watched, you know, 25% of the past ones, create a lookalike of that and push that as a video view audience. Ah. I think the other thing you could do also is, um, I would leverage your, your social media examiner lists and your web traffic there. So you could also create lookalikes, you know, based off of people who come to your site and then anybody that's on your email list as well. Cause I think they'd all pretty much be the target audience for it.
0: Interesting. And now for those, rookies like me who don't know what the difference is between taking a video and boosting it versus yeah. <laughs> something else. I mean, is this, can you do almost anything with the boost that you can do inside of Ad manager?
3: Nowadays? Yes, pretty much. Okay. Um, it, it doesn't look that way when you do it natively from your page interface, it gives you less options. Got it. Um, I think they've, at this point, they've made almost everything available as a boost. I still usually tell people if you're going to you know, just work on boosting something, Um, I typically don't use the boost option at this point, mostly because it doesn't really optimize as well as it seems to when you run it as a page post engagement campaign. Instead, Hmm. it effectively does the same thing. But if you go into power editor, there's an option for post engagement. And so if there's something that I just want to get, you know, a lot of reaction to or build up some social proof on, I will usually go into editor and do it there.
0: Okay. So, so far we've talked about what content do we have? Mm-hmm. What audiences do we have? What's next?
3: So once you know the audiences that you have, that's when you can start getting an idea of the the three buckets that you're going to be working with. And those are usually going to be a f- cold audience, which are people that have never visited your site. And as far as you know, have never interacted with you anyway. So you haven't served them a video or anything like that. The warm audience is people that might be that, they're usually that engagement retargeting group where they might not have necessarily been to the site, but they have, you know, they downloaded a PDF. So you have them from an email list. Um, So they've encountered you somehow, or they watched 25% of your video, any of those things. And then bottom of funnel is usually going to be defined as people that have been to your site. Sometimes we'll put some parameters on that. Um, You know, you can create a retargeting audience of people that visited your site. But they visited a certain number of times. Like you can put some parameters around that to make sure they're really engaged. So you're usually dealing with you know cold, warm, and hot, or you know also called top of funnel, mid funnel, and bottom of funnel. Um, people use them interchangeably. And so when you look at your audiences, you want to figure out where those people belong. I mean if they're if they're people that have you know downloaded or watched they watched a 30 minute webinar, at that point they're probably pretty committed. I would consider them a, a hot audience at that point, but If they've only ever watched a video, they didn't necessarily click through, they've never been to your site, they're probably more along the warm lines. And then the cold people are just the people that have no idea who you are and what you offer. So that's pretty much going to be all of your lookalike audiences, anybody that you just target as an interest. So when you take stock of those audiences that you have, you can start categorizing them and figuring out where would they likely fall. And, um, I create a worksheet that I go through with clients for this because sometimes it can can kind of overwhelming. Like if you have 50 audiences trying to figure out where they go and then also, you know, who shouldn't belong in them. Um, because as soon as you start making these audience lists, you start visually being able to see how your funnels are probably going to play out a little bit because if you see, okay, you know, we have people that have watched our videos, that means we're going to want to run more video view ads to get more people into that side of the funnel, you kind of start seeing where you're going to be putting money and and how you're going to allocate it somewhat. Um, And it becomes a matter at that point of figuring out, okay, which of these audiences makes sense to build a funnel around and then going back to that content and saying, what content do we have that makes the most sense to serve to them and just marrying those two things together.
0: Okay, I got it. So um, how do we decide what content ought to go to a warm audience versus the hot audience?
3: Good question. Um, A lot of times with the hot audience, that's going to be much more selling heavy. So because at that point, they already know who you are. They probably know pretty well what you offer. So you're at the point there where you're like, okay, let's do business together. So if there's something that is a lot more specific about how your company does what it does, as opposed to just, hey, here's a case study of a client that you know went from point A to point, v, point B, now with the hot audience you're talking about, here's how we do it. Here's how we can help you. It gets a lot more
0: Direct, um, selling as
3: yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Usually, a lot more salesy, and it and it doesn't necessarily feel that way though, because you're dealing with people who know who you are. Right. Um, whereas the warm audience, you got to kind of think of it as like, you know, they they've met you, you sh- you shook their hand <laughs> essentially, but they're not necessarily ready to sign on the dotted line yet. Um, so they're they're a little bit higher up. They're kind of in between where it's they're not a stranger, but they're also not at the point where you take out your business card and say, hey, let's let's get signed up and go.
0: Okay. Well then I guess the question is maybe should be restated this way. What type of content differentiation should we have to a cold audience versus a warm
3: audience? That's a very good question. Cold audience. I tell people make it something that doesn't require a whole lot of the user. So Sometimes I'll see people that will launch with gated content right away, and it'll be like a thirty-page ebook, and that feels really heavy <laughs> to someone that doesn't know who you are or what you do. It's and like you, Hi, when you say gated, team.
0: you have to give them your email address to get Correct. it. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, they
3: have to give some piece of information in order to get it, and that can work on on you know really low commitment stuff, where it's like a one page PDF, or, you know, a worksheet or something. But the things where it's like a 30 page ebook, and people try and launch that as as the thing they offer a cold audience, it just feels like too much because they don't know who you are, they're not going to want to read 30 pages of something. So it's usually something light, I call them snack sized. <laughs> so it's snack sized content, it might be a blog post, um, video works really well, it's visually engaging. And again, it doesn't ask a whole lot of the user. So it's one of those things where you wanna give them something of value without expecting anything yet and just don't take up a lot of their time to get your message across.
0: And I guess the key here is you're tracking who takes the action and Correct. thus they become warm at that point?
3: Yes, so at that point, and we'll use a video final example. So for we might say for a cold audience, okay, we're gonna show this you know, user-generated video or this before and after video or whatever it is we wanna show. And when we set it up with the cold audience, I will go ahead and just create the audience for what's going to be the warm audience. So it's there. So I'll create a video views audience for the cold people and we'll drop the video in there. Then I just create an audience for people that watch 25% and you can specify the video. And then I'll go ahead and make a remarketing audience for them. And as that cold funnel starts to push people through, you'll start seeing the impressions accrue on that, that warm funnel campaign that you set up. So I usually just set it up all at the beginning. So it's just self-sustaining and can start running.
0: Okay. So, um, I totally get the cold side of it, moving it to the warm side. How long Mm -hmm. do they stay warm before they become hot?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Usually, um, the differentiator for me and some people do it differently for me, it's if they visit the site and, like I said, I'll usually for the hot audience piece, I'll usually do some kind of caveat in there. It's like they visited the site once or they were in the top 50% of the the time spent. You can choose stuff like that, um, as part of your custom audience definition. So usually at that point, once they move to that bucket, that's when I consider them a hot audience and they will no longer be shown to, um, the mid-level audience. So, Usually what I tell people is when they create funnels, just as important as thinking through who you're going to target is thinking through who you need to exclude as you go. So if someone moves from the video to the mid funnel, you want that mid funnel to exclude the people that watch the 25% of the video. Right you know what I mean? Or the, you know, if they only watch 10 seconds or whatever exclusions you want to think through, right. um, because you don't want to keep showing the same stuff to those people over and over. Um, and usually with the cold audience, I'm going to exclude anybody that's been to the site in the past 30 or 60 days because they're hot audience people. I don't want them in my cold funnel. So some of that, to your point, you know, moving from the warm to the hot, it's defining who you don't want because the bottom of the funnel initially going to be your smallest group. So it's going to have some exclusions in it to make sure that you're truly talking to people that, you know, are just the most engaged with you.
0: Do you continue to nurture the warm audience until they take whatever action? I mean, like if I'm thinking from a content perspective, you know, I start with a video to draw a cold audience to me. Mm -hmm. Those that watch 25% of it enter the warm audience. Um, and maybe those who also watched 25% and visited the website enter the hot audience, but you still got a big chunk that never enter the hot audience. So do you continue to develop content for the warm audience?
3: Yes. So the one challenge, the answer, short answer is yes. The one challenge that I caution people is that Facebook will let you create custom audiences choosing the video they watched they will not let you do it based on what content they consumed otherwise so for example let's cuz i have very um you know blog or or written heavy clients where they're like well they read this piece so now i want to show them this piece so you can set it up like that to an extent but it can get really hard to scale that and facebook doesn't make it easy they make it easier with video so i do have luck doing that more so with video so the mid funnel might wind up being like a five step video process. You know what I mean? Where, okay, they watched, um, 25% of this video. So now they move to this next, it's still a mid funnel Ah, video, but it's step two of the case study or whatever it might be. So you can kind of set up a sequential video experience that way. Got Um, so I've had, I've done that for, for products where it's obvious that the bottom of the funnel just isn't converting but there's a lot of engagement in mid funnel. And sometimes that can be a clue that there's just not enough information yet. So we've created those multi-step funnels and tested some of that out. And then we'll also do things like maybe not test video, maybe, you know, test showing them a downloadable PDF or something and see if there's some other way that they prefer to engage before they wind up buying. Got it. So there's, there's ways you can do that as well.
0: I would imagine this can get exceptionally confusing and complicated for whoever's managing all these ads. Am I right?
3: Yeah, it, it can, it can blow up really fast. Um, Excel's Excel sheets are your friends. <laughs> so I, I always tell people like it's, if you're doing one simple funnel, it's fine, but it's really funny. Like as you start to build them out, you kind of get that feeling where you, you're like, wait, okay, who did I include in this? <laughs> and which one did I exclude? So I've gotten into the habit of mapping it all out before I even try and do it in Facebook. Um, because I find if I have a blueprint to do it, I can just go in and kind of go in robot mode and just set them all up. But if I try and think through it as I'm doing it, it does get exceptionally confusing after a while.
0: (laughs) Where do you find the bulk of the money is being spent on the cold, the warm or the, or the hot side
3: Uh, that changes over time. So a lot of times with clients um, the bulk of it in the beginning is usually spent on the cold audience um, because they just don't have the funnel in place yet. So you need to go out and find those people as time goes on. Um, typically I'll find that a lot of the money shifts to the middle of the funnel. Um, and the cold still spends a decent amount, but we usually get better about figuring out where the quality is. So a lot of times in the beginning with cold, you kind of cast a wide net and then you start to see what seems to be a little more reliable. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of times it'll be a lot more cold at the beginning. And then as you start to build up those warm audiences to work with, you'll see that middle of the funnel grow because then you'll have like large chunks of people that have watched 25% of six different videos that you have and people that have downloaded PDFs. Like you start to get much larger warm audiences that you can work with. Um, So over time, the need for cold, it's still there. It's just that you get a lot more efficient at it. So I find that the spend there goes down and then you can really focus on messaging with the warm people because at least you know that they're engaged. So you're not spending as much effort on the people that might be a little bit more hit or miss.
0: How long does Facebook let you hold on to these audiences before they kind of fizzle out, if you will? Is there like a time limit?
3: They're, they let you do audiences for up to you know 365 days or I think it's 365 right now. Okay, um, But you know, obviously they're not necessarily all going to be relevant people. Um, Usually what I wind up doing, and this is kind of how I set up my retargeting too, is I use Google analytics and um, there's a report in there called the time lag report. And it doesn't work as well for super long sales cycles because it really only goes back a certain amount of time. But I'll usually look to see when the conversions are likely to happen. Um, And if it looks like, people tend to convert or buy within seven to 10 days, then I don't need to be running, you know, an audience that watched a, a video six months ago. <laughs> you know, It's like, they're more likely to convert in a shorter amount of time. So a lot of times I will use that as a guide. Um, and then I'll also test different things. Or maybe I'll do, you know, one that's a 30 day audience, one that's a 60 day audience, one that's a 90 day audience, making sure that I exclude each one from each one, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. like the 90 day one would exclude, would exclude the 30 and 60s. Um, and just kind of get a gauge for when you start to see the fall off. Cause it's usually pretty evident. Like a lot of times you'll see, you know, this in the seven to 21 day range, things go really well for the lower price products. And then after that, it's just a ghost town. It's, you're just wasting your money. Um, so a lot of times I'll experiment with that a little bit, but you can use analytics to give you some guidance on what groups you should probably be creating.
0: Do you find that this ad funnel is more important for the business-to-business side of things over the B2C, just out of curiosity?
3: It's a good question. Um, Not really. I mean, it it tends to work well for both. Um, The B2C, it usually happens faster. So you tend to get feedback from the funnels a lot quicker. The B2B stuff takes longer, obviously. It's a longer sales cycle. Um, so getting the evidence as to which cold audiences are working and which mid-funnel you know, PDFs and those kind of things are working can take longer just because there's less volume. Um, so the B2C st- stuff tends to happen faster, but I run funnels for both um, avenues and it works great for both.
0: Well, Susan, this has been absolutely fascinating. Why don't you tell everybody where they can discover more about you and all the awesome stuff you've got going on?
3: Absolutely. Um, everybody can find me at my website. It's um, um I'm on Twitter a lot. So you can find me there as well. I'm at Susan edub. And then um, I also do have a closed Facebook group. Um, it's curated. So there's no weird spammy things or <laughs> anything like that. It's a very friendly group of folks. Um, and that's the FB Ads Betterment Society. And anybody can can go ahead and just click to join and I will approve you.
0: Awesome. And your last name is spelled W-E-N-O-G-R-A-D. Susan Wenograd. thank you so much for coming on today's show and sharing all your wisdom.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's podcast episode. If there was anything we mentioned and you missed it, we take all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 293. Also, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you do not miss another episode in the future. And if you're a regular listener, would you let your friends know about this show and possibly give us a rating and or a review? We would love it. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
0: If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored Podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored Podcast.